power on. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here's your host Brian Sovereign. sound that very few, no matter how hardcore the gamer, a sound that it seems very few have ever really heard. And of course, if you look at the sales number of what this little gaming grid special is about, if you looked at the sales numbers of it, uh, you'd kind of understand why, at least outside of Japan. And we are here 25 years later uh, to talk about the Sega Saturn. Now, technically the Sega Saturn came out in Japan in 1994, but for me, the golden staying, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R radio star, Dr. Brian Sovereign. For me, it was a birthday release. It ended up coming out on May 11th, 1995. I'll never forget it because I got to open it, uh, at like around midnight <laughs> and <laughs> because my birthday was on May 12th and it had come out just before. And when I first heard that sound that you just heard, oh man, <laughs> I was, I was on because so to understand, and we're going to get into some history around the Sega Saturn. We're going to talk about what the Sega Saturn means today, because I do think it's still meaningful today. Uh, and we're going to get in a top eight of games, but something to understand just in my own personal history is that there was a time Basically, so the Sega Saturn was part of the fifth generation of consoles, okay? This included, or what some people call the 3D era, right? This included the N64, this included the PlayStation, uh, you know, the original PlayStation, and of course the Sega Saturn. Um, that's to get, you know, nothing to even get into, say, uh, the Atari Jaguar, um, you know, along with, I don't know, the, the Amiga CD 32. I mean, we could think of a bunch of, or the 3DO, you know, systems that came out around the same time that were all, you know, generally disc-based minus the Nintendo 64, of course, um, you know, and we're really moving gaming forward in, uh, well, a variety um, of ways. But I, I more or less kind of, kind of skipped or at least didn't deep dive into it until afterwards, I skipped more of the, uh, what I guess you could call the fourth generation. As in when the Super Nintendo and the Genesis were the hot ticket, I was spending most of my time playing PC games. Uh, and so not that, I mean, I've played plenty of, you know, SNES games, plenty of Genesis games. I mean, I'm totally on board with that system. Uh, I, but again, it wasn't like my main gaming system. And frankly, throughout a good chunk, minus the Saturn, throughout a good chunk of the fifth generation, I spent most of my time PC gaming as well. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, the fifth generation of consoles could do, you know, could play uh, games that PCs could play at the time, uh, you know, gaming PCs. 
which was sort of just becoming a thing with 3d cards and, and, and so on. I mean, not, not just becoming a thing, but that was coming into prominence. Remember your old voodoo card? I do. And you know, while they could do that, they still couldn't do it as well. And the, a lot of the gaming experiences weren't as epic say, uh, on consoles as they would be on PC. Now that's not entirely true, but it was largely true in my opinion. But when it comes to the Sega Saturn, I will never forget going into Toys R Us. <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget what Toys R Us looked like back then too. Uh, in fact, if you listen to a recent TIE Fighter Renegades that Rob and I did, uh, we talked about, you know, go, go look at pictures of Toys R Us, uh, you know, in this era, like, you know, 94, 95, and even earlier. And I mean, again, it looks like something out of uh, hell. It looks like Star Trek looks like something out of the Federation, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it looks so advanced, uh, and, and just so wild. Um, I'll never forget walking up to the little kiosk where they had a demo Saturn set up. Um, I think they might've even basically had it set up a little bit before release day, but regardless, uh, you know, I went in front of it and there was Panzer Dragoon and I started rocking that and I just, I just had to have it, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was only like 14, uh, but I had to have it like Panzer Dragoon, the original game, which is not on our top eight, not the first one as great as it is and can easily sit on a top eight list for the Sega Saturn. Um, was just so mind blowing to look at. You might not think so much today, even if you play the remake, which we reviewed on sovereign tech um, in recent months, but at the time unheard of. And you know, like these on rails kinds of games were not common on PC. So it felt like a very different experience than what I was getting on my gaming uh, PC at the time. Uh, or really just my PC, like the idea of there being a gaming PC. I don't think that had even become, you know, come to four yet. Uh, the idea that you purpose built a PC for gaming, uh, at the time it was just your fucking computer <laughs> you know, <laughs> and maybe you threw a voodoo card in it. And that, that was the, you know, that was the day, but the Saturn just looked like such a different experience. Uh, you know, I mean, cause like, I think about the Sega CD, and even the 32X, and there's conversations to have around all this. What happened here? Why did the Saturn fail? You know, in fact, uh, in our recent Xbox episode, I was comparing the Xbox in many ways to the Saturn, the original Xbox to the Saturn in kind of performance in its generation. Um, but when you look at like the Sega CD or even the 32X, a lot of that, when you'd see it, like, you know, the game that a lot of people would talk about at the time for, for the Sega CD, uh, of course there was Sonic CD that was, you know, that was a hot ticket, but it was still Sonic, right? Like, okay. I had like an animated opening and some other stuff, but it was still basically Sonic. Uh, you would be talking about, I mean, Willie Beamish would be a big deal. Sure. But you'd be talking about like, Oh, star Wars, rebel assault and all this stuff. And I'm like, wait, but I've already played this. Hell, I beat that on a Saturday afternoon on my computer. Uh, why do I need the Sega CD for that? Right. It wasn't that exciting because really it was just bringing a lot of those PC experiences, point and click adventures, all this stuff to, you know, to the consoles, right. As to where the Saturn seemed like a bit more of a leap forward, uh, obviously not ultimately as capable as a computer, but it was offering something very different and any console, frankly, to be able to claim, and we'll get into this during the top eight, any console to be able to claim to have one of the greatest games, what probably belongs in the greatest 10 games of all time, just straight up. It doesn't matter what platform or console 
to have one of the greatest 10 games or one of the, one of the top 10 games of all time, uh, is enough justification for any console to exist. For example, like is, is Halo gonna, you know, does Halo's existence justify the original Xbox? Absolutely. Does, uh, Mario 64 back, you know, before the, the much improved DS version came out, does that justify the existence alone? That one game, does that justify the existence of the Nintendo 64 hardware itself? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely does. And the Sega Saturn certainly had at least, at least one game that absolutely falls, you know, falls under that, that top 10 games as in games that belong in the caliber of like Metroid three you know, or super Metroid, whatever you want to call it. Um, but let, we'll, we'll get into the games. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The Sega Saturn, uh, again, did at, in Japan, it performed far better than it did in the United States. And, you know, playing some like that intro sound that you heard at the top of this episode, uh, a lot of people in Japan would recognize it pretty instantly as to where, yeah, in America, not so much, <laughs> not really. Um, in fact, I, I could probably count on my hands how many people I've ever met in my life that owned a Sega Saturn. And, you know, there's arguments to be made that uh, who had the head of the time, Sega of America, uh, Bernie Stoller and some others. There's arguments to be made that Sega uh, dramatically mismanaged um, the marketing and a lot of areas around uh, the Sega Saturn's, you know, very existence. Um, there's some legendary things that occurred during it or, you know, during that time. And there's things that, well, again, you know, I just told you how I've barely met, you know, finding somebody who owned a PlayStation one, not hard finding somebody that, that owned a, a Nintendo 64 or even played one, uh, not a challenge at all. But, you know, you talk about the Sega Saturn, very, very different, very different scenario. And so basically, and, and this is, I'm just going to toss this out on top. Okay. What you, what really happened here is that you had the Sega CD. I mean, and I've talked about this. All right. I've, let me back up a little bit. I've talked about this many times that Sega always dropped the ball on their consoles because they released them, uh, either. And it depends how you look at it, but either way at the wrong time, it's either too early or too late, whether it's too early or too late is a matter of perspective, but that's really, I mean, a major issue that they had. Uh, basically, you know, the Genesis, right. Was while everybody thinks of it as the competitor for the super Nintendo, it was meant to beat the NES. It was meant to beat the original Nintendo, not the super Nintendo. It ended up having to compete against the super Nintendo. And that's when they start releasing, you know, the Sega CD and the 32 X and they start releasing add-ons to try and actually beat the super Nintendo. But that wasn't its original intention. Just like the Saturn was really meant to defeat the super Nintendo. The problem there, and, and I mean, and, and then it just goes on, just like the Dreamcast was meant to, you know, take on the PlayStation and everything and, you know, usher in a whole new era, which it did. And I think it did very well and was an incredibly advanced system and has a lot of tremendous games on it, just like the Saturn does. Ones that have never been re-released, actually. Uh, but regardless, it's confusing because you had the Sega CD and the 32X come out within like a year, basically the Sega Saturn getting released. And yet it's supposed to be the new hotness. And then, you know, when the Saturn comes out in 94 or in America, 95, within only four years, 
Suddenly they're already jumping onto the Dreamcast, largely because apparently Sega of America thought that the Saturn was such a failure. They needed to get a new console out quickly. The mistake that they made, in my opinion, in hindsight's 2020, no doubt about that. The mistake that they made is that they didn't try to, and this is something actually I think Nintendo tried to do recently, where the Switch and the 3DS were being promoted and developed for concurrently. Now, while development didn't just like come to a complete standstill once the Saturn existed uh, for, you know, anything that that Sega had released previously, like the Sega CD 32X or the Genesis itself, they didn't really market it well as like a family. You know, they, they should have, they should have marketed the, the Sega CD and the 32X and the Saturn they should have marketed it as like a family of devices, kind of like Apple does now, right? Where, yeah, there's the latest and greatest phone, but then really they support all the way back to iOS or, or you know, to, to the iPhone seven or eight or whatever they do. And they sell all of them to you. Like, you know, like it's a device line. And that's really what I think Sega should have done here. To because it just became too confusing because what their marketing was, and if there's any mismanagement in their marketing, it was this, is that they kept saying, oh, no, Saturn, this is the new thing. This is the thing you have to own. They shouldn't have talked that way. They should have just, you know, offered it as more of a, like a premium product in comparison to the Genesis and so on. And I think, I think they would have done much, much better and would have really created a very different I mean, in many ways, they could have created competition within their own company, meaning that they could have, instead of competing against Nintendo or Sony, they could have just competed against themselves, you know? And now there's reasons, you know, maybe practical reasons why that couldn't have occurred, partly due to the continued complexity. I mean, developing for the Genesis, not hard. Developing for Sega CD, eh, not terrible either. Developing for the 32X, fucking nightmare developing for the Sega Saturn bit of a nightmare, but if you did it right, the rewards were absolutely rewarding. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of ways and, and, you know, and I know Bernie Stoller now, if hell I've talked to Bernie Stoller, I know Bernie Stoller now will say that, um, you know, there, there were issues from, you know, Sega on high in Japan that they wouldn't let him do certain things and that Nintendo swooped up and grabbed Silicon graphics before they could, you know, and, and all, all this different shit, right. That they can claim that happened. But I really think that they could have sidestepped the entire situation in the fifth generation of consoles by basically just, you know, again, creating an entire Sega family of devices and really competing with itself. I think that would have been an absolute winner on their part, but that's not how history went. And the Sega Saturn, um, would, well, again, it lost, uh, the fifth generation. I mean, if you're not going to count, you know, a lot of the other weird systems that we really should talk about at some point, like the 3DO and the Atari Jaguar and the arguments, you know, can ultimately come down to somewhat of an inverse situation uh, compared to what, like say the N64 had to deal with at the time. So a lot of, uh, game, uh, developers, a lot of, you know, dev houses, they, or studios, they didn't so much. They, I mean, they knew having their game on a Nintendo console was going to put out some kind of money because people, you know, Nintendo, at least mentally for a lot of people is still very dominant for gamers. It was all about the PlayStation more or less at the time. Um, 
Now the PlayStation had a very open development platform from hardware to, to media, meaning to CD from hardware to CD. It was a very open process. Yes. You had the proprietary CDs, right? Remember with the black lacquer on them and everything, but overall, I mean, that was just a piracy, you know, uh, deal, but overall it was a very open situation, which allowed a lot of people to just swoop in and take advantage of, you know, what, what the PlayStation could do. It's not that the PlayStation was more powerful than the N64. It was not, it was not that the PlayStation could ultimately outperform uh, the Saturn. I mean, there's, there's some raw numbers that would suggest that it could, but the Saturn you have to understand was a very clever system complex. It was clever, but that made it complex. Okay. So people didn't want to develop for the N64 so much because, you know, not having access to the massive storage space and advantages that come with optical disc gaming. Okay. You know, with games on CDs instead of the cartridges, uh, you know, there, there were disadvantages there. And I think people really wanted to, to jump on board with that, you know, or wanted to take advantage of everything that, that CD console gaming could do. Um, there are advantages to doing a cartridge certainly. And some companies did take advantage of that, but regardless, so there was the complexity of the medium. The Saturn didn't have the complexity of the medium. The Saturn had the complexity of the hardware. Okay. And so like the N64, you know, the cartridge just limited you, but it wasn't hard to develop for the Saturn, the hardware itself, the console itself limited your ability. And it just took so long to develop like games and take advantage of everything that the Saturn had. The Saturn had eight processors in it, it had two CPUs. And part of the brilliance of using the two CPUs with the Saturn was that. So for example, uh, how about nights into dreams? That game's not going to be on the top eight. It should be. I'll talk about it a little bit because uh, Nights into Dreams is considered one of the great games for the Sega Saturn. It's also one that has had a sequel and has been re-released basically many times. So there's no real reason to own a Saturn to be able to play that. Uh, but Nights into Dreams. So one of the CPUs for Nights into Dreams would control the character, would control Knights. Okay. And again, this is a 3D, fully 3D game. And then the other CPU would do the job of rendering and controlling the entire environment that Knights was flying around it. Okay. So that allowed for a lot of really, uh, a lot of smoothness and precision in game, in, in gameplay and presentation, because you had the multiple processors. You didn't have to have, you know, a balls out singular processor. You had multiple processors that were able to, you know, handle different elements or a game like Virtua fighter, each fighter, you had two fighters, each fighter was controlled by a different CPU. And so that allowed for, again, a certain precision of gaming, uh, as well as the ability to, you know, run with so many polygons. We'll talk a, a little bit more about that when we get into the top eight. Uh, but it was, it was really advantageous. The only issue was, is that they shared the same bus and that's where the complexity came in because you had to basically write the code to activate which CPU you wanted at the correct time because they couldn't just run concurrently or they couldn't exactly run concurrently. So it made for, it made for a very complex, challenging coding environment. I, I completely understand that. And that that in and of itself is an issue, but if you knew what you were doing, if you're able to get over that, that, that hump, that challenge, you could make games that could do stunning things that would blow away just about anything else in the fifth generation. And that's the, that's the pity. 
is that a lot of companies didn't see, you know, they didn't see it as really worthwhile um, to do so. Now, the Sega Saturn, a lot of games that would end up on, you know, the PlayStation would concurrently end up on the Sega Saturn. Some of them would even come out beforehand. For example, um, like Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, you know, one of the greatest games ever made. I'm not kidding. Tomb Raider initially, even before it came out for PC or anything, came out for the Saturn months before it came out for any other console. We could talk about all the Street Fighter games that ended up coming out for the Sega Saturn, but that also did end up on PlayStation. And there are some other examples. We're going to get into this conversation a bit more when we get into the top eight. Um, but the Saturn, maybe it's real claim to fame as far as gaming goes is, and this is something Sega in general would do, uh, even in the sixth generation of consoles, they did a smashing job of bringing arcade ports to home, uh, you know, bringing arcade games and porting them to, you know, to the Saturn in this case, you know, virtual fighter Two, uh, Daytona USA, uh, virtual racing. I mean, like there's just you know, it's a laundry list of games that they, they brought and successfully beautifully brought home. And that's a big deal. Right. And they did so at a price point that wasn't the Neo Geo. Okay. <laughs> Which the price point of the Neo Geo is expensive, even in 2020 to say nothing of what it was like in the nineties. So that's an amazing feat in and of itself. And the Dreamcast would kind of do that as well. Right. For example, soul caliber, would actually be better on the Dreamcast than it would be in arcades. That's insane. Absolutely insane, especially for a fighting game that really finally got past the blocky polygons. Uh, just, just a remarkable feat. Now, speaking of remarkable feat, uh, the Saturn was a system of many firsts. Uh, in fact, a lot of the things that I often claim about the Dreamcast is being so advanced and so ahead of its time, like before people were ready for multiplayer, uh, you know, online multiplayer and other things. Uh, and also like the, the, the wild amount of controllers, official controllers that existed for the, for the Dreamcast. A lot of this, a lot of those were ideas carried over from you know, eh, somewhat of the early life, but more of the mid to later life of the Sega Saturn. Uh, this was a system that people got, or the developers and Sega itself got really fucking creative with. In fact, I have a correction to make. Uh, and the correction being is that the Xbox was not the first system. The original Xbox was not the first system that you could, uh, you could connect, you know, one Xbox to another. And then like we were talking about, you could have, you know, 16 person multiplayer all in one room. The Saturn actually had, what did they, I think they called it the, the play cable. Good luck finding one of these. The Saturn had uh, what they called the play cable, which lets you hook up not four like the Xbox, but two Saturns so that you could do multiplayer uh, in the same room and you could do four player multiplayer. I don't know. And I tried to, I tried to find out about this. Because the Saturn also had, and of course, I think they released this kind of after the fact when the N64 came out and did the four ports and everything. And, uh, cause Sony reacted to that as well with their own multi-tap, but the Saturn also had a controller multi-tap so that you could do four player in certain games. Now there weren't many that you could do that in, but you could, uh, that was a possibility. Um, there were just a wide array of different controllers, um, that existed 
for the Sega Saturn. Uh, I mean, you had the, the 3d pad, which is actually a really, really slick, uh, controller. I, so speaking, we're, we'll talk about controllers because we're going to talk about again, what the Saturn can mean for you today and why it's worthwhile owning one. And when we do that, I am going to discuss, um, what you can do as far as controllers. Impressively, there's one of my, you know, there's, there's a few companies out there that really cater to retro gaming, uh, pretty hard. I mean, you have like stone age gamer, uh, you have hyperkin, you know, those are a couple of my favorites. Uh, but then there's also uh, a company that I really appreciate, which is Retrobit. Um, and Retrobit, they finally got the official license from Sega to re-release uh, controllers for varying consoles. Um, and they are very, very faithful and well done uh, versions of those original controllers. And they're more or less, I mean, they're, they're, they're close enough. They might not feel exactly as tight as the controllers did back in the day, but I mean, they're about the best you're going to get as far as buying a new controller. Uh, otherwise you're going to spend, I mean, so for example, I re I got my recent, I don't want to get lost on this, but let's talk about it. I, when I acquired a new Sega Saturn, uh, for a project uh, that we'll talk about, um, getting the Saturn, the base system itself is not hard. In fact, there's tons of them out there. <laughs> okay. And it's also not a terribly expensive proposition. Uh, you'll probably have to buy them from, from overseas, but it's easy enough to switch them over to English and, you know, take care of that. I mean, that, that really doesn't matter. Not hard to get your hands on that now. And I think I paid all told, I mean, shipped and everything. So landed, I paid 80 bucks for, um, for a Saturn base system. And this was months ago. However, if I, and I mean, I bought it, it didn't even, it didn't come with a power cord. It didn't come with, uh, you know, RCA cables. It didn't come with controllers. It came with nothing. It was just the system itself. All right. When you get into getting a lot of the, uh, shall we say official accessories, <laughs> that's when the price of a Saturn can skyrocket. And I mean, skyrocket, you know, into the two, 300, 400, I mean, even help, I'm sure thousand dollar ranges. Uh, I mean, it really can go through the roof. There's no real need in my opinion to do that though. Again, I don't want, I don't want to get lost in this right now. I want to talk about this more later, but my point in bringing up, so we'll, we'll cover that more in a minute. My point in bringing this up is that Retrobit, uh, I wish they would, cause they did a re-release of the original Sega Saturn controller and it's, I have two of them. They're great. Uh, I wish they did the 3d pad. Interestingly, there they released an N64 controller. I think it's called the commander. I have, I have a couple of them. They're USB ones. So they're not for an actual N64. I don't happen to have one of those at the moment. Um, they released an N64 controller that was trying to give you a much better time with the control schema of the N64, which we all know, you know, the three prong controller is, is a, is a weird beast, uh, you know, to put it mildly their commander controller basically looks like the 3d pad. <laughs> so if you've ever seen the modified N64 controllers that aren't the three prong type and are more circular, uh, I mean, they, they look very similar. It's interesting anyway. Um, yeah, the 3d pad is an awesome controller. I wish I had one cause it really, really, I mean, it feels so good in your hands. Uh, but they're rare and, and, you know, they'll cost you more than probably the console itself today. So, you know, I don't need it that bad. 
Um, but then also you do have the multi-tap. They had an arcade racing stick, right? They had a, you know, it, it looked like the, basically the steering quote unquote wheel, even though it's not a wheel, it looked like the steering device in, uh, in, in Knight Rider, you know, in kit, um, or like, a more of, uh, what you'd have in an airplane. Right. So, uh, they had that and there were other, you know, they'd have varying arcade sticks that they would release. There were a lot of different controllers that would come out. We'll probably talk about a couple more when we go through the top eight. Uh, other accessories that they would end up having is that it, the Saturn had fairly low Ram. You have to understand again, the Saturn really originally was not competing with 3d gaming. In fact, it's a great 2d gaming system. It might be the greatest 2d gaming system of all time. It just happened to be able to handle 3d environments. And so the amount of Ram in it originally didn't necessarily appeal to the certain breadth of some 3d environments and 3d games. So there's an expansion slot on it on, on the Saturn that'll and you know, Sega thought ahead of time this time, instead of everything having to be in the cartridge slot, like what, like was so with the Genesis and that creating varying bottlenecks. Um, they're just like, all right, let's put an expansion slot on this thing on the Saturn and whatever we think of, we need in the future, we can just put into that. Well, the main thing that that expansion slot ended up getting used for was to put in uh, a four megabyte, megabyte, a four megabyte uh, RAM expansion cartridge. And fortunately, that's also something that you don't have to. I mean, I if a company did not make these today, I cannot imagine what that uh, what that cartridge would cost. You know, say on eBay or wherever else. Fortunately, another great company called Action Replay. Um, they still make this cartridge and it has another trick up its sleeve too. So one of the unique things that the Sega Saturn or one of the rarer things, we talked about this during the Xbox episode, one of the rarer things that uh, the Sega Saturn did was that it didn't have memory cards. It all, all it had was it would store on the board. Okay. On the system board, it would store your save games. Problem is, is that that was that memory was basically remembered by a CR 2032 battery, something similar, you, you know, when you back in the day that you'd replace to, uh, you know, when your BIOS suddenly wouldn't hold its settings or anything on a computer, right? You know, the kind little watch batteries or that gets used in car remotes, uh, that CR 2032 battery, you know, you, you'd have that, then that would be, you know, holding the memory. Uh, now those would go bad two, three years later. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that, that is a, a massive, massive problem. Um, in my opinion, a, maybe the worst design flaw of the Saturn overall, which was otherwise a very future proof system. And I, and we'll bring that up in a second as well. Uh, that action replay cartridge that you can get, which can, you know, uh, upgrade the Ram by four megabytes and not many games need that, but the ones that do, you want to play in, you need it. Uh, that can also back up your save games from, uh, from the Saturn board itself. So that's a very handy cartridge to get your hands on runs about $40, absolutely essential and worth it. If you are, uh, you know, if you're going to get into having a, a Sega Saturn in 2020, now there's other methods to go about that. And we're going to talk about the Terra onion mode here in a minute. Uh, but you know, just to bring that up, that's there. So the other major feature and the other like really trailblazing feature that I think we should talk about here is that the Saturn eventually would have an optional, what's called the net link. Okay. 
uh, and it would ultimately be like Sega net. Now Sega net sort of existed or like Sega channel sort of existed beforehand. That's a whole other history to talk about, but basically the Netlink for the Saturn allowed you to do online multiplayer. This was wildly ahead of its time, wildly ahead of its time. In fact, it not only lets you do online multiplayer, it, it had a web browser built into it, you know, that, that would come with the software for it. And Sega, <laughs> this is kind of funny because they pushed Netlink before they even had a keyboard for the system, because they would eventually release a keyboard. I think even a mouse, uh, for the Saturn that would let you browse. I mean, and you could do everything you, online chat, you could do email and you could browse, you know, websites, uh, with your Sega Saturn. Now, I mean, at the time you were talking about the same era of web TV and all this other stuff that was considered a very practical thing. And as we talked about many times on sovereign tech, originally the concept of the information superhighway, that specific term was not referencing your computer. The information superhighway originally was about your TV doing much of the connecting and operations around, you know, what we would call the World Wide web and even email and all this other stuff that was all supposed to happen through your TV, not your computer ended up happening through your computer. But you know, that's just one of the oddities of, of history. So for Sega to want to do that, not unheard of, they were capitalizing on a market that, you know, just about anybody at the time thought was a no brainer. And of course was going to exist. They would do the same thing with the dreamcast later on. Um, I find it interesting that basically the PlayStation and the N64 completely, I mean, I'm not surprised that Nintendo ignored it because they wouldn't, you know, consider the internet really a thing. Yes. The GameCube could connect, could connect, uh, with fantasy star online, but they wouldn't really consider the internet a viable thing for gaming until the Wii, <laughs> you know? So I'm not surprised there, but I'm amazed Sony didn't jump on that, uh, might be down to the margins of their hardware. But regardless, I mean, online multiplayer, you know, I mean, that, that was that, for PCs, not, not a new deal at the time. You know, I was playing rise of the triad and whatever doom, whatever the fuck else at the time, uh, you know, via my modem, but the, you know, and, and in fact, it was a 288 modem and the Netlink was also a 288 modem. And, but for people with consoles, I, you know, online multiplayer wasn't really a thing even the people that took advantage of say fantasy star online, it still didn't really be, I don't think multiplayer really became a big deal until like the seventh generation of consoles. When the Xbox 360, uh, you know, dominated, that's when online multiplayer became a thing. Yes. The PlayStation two could do it just fine. And people were playing SOCOM. I'm not saying they didn't, but it didn't become ubiquitous until I would say the, the Xbox 360, uh, but Sega was doing it over, you know, like a, a decade before. And it was not a bad experience. Um, I played Duke Nukem 3d over Netlink, And I mean, it was a very simple process of connecting. Uh, there are other games. I mean, there weren't a ton that took advantage of it, but there are plenty that did and being able to play Duke Nukem 3d. I mean, I remember having the arguments over because look, Duke Nukem 3d was, you know, a massive deal at the time. Um, even on the PlayStation. In fact, on PlayStation, Duke would get multiple sequel games, uh, that, you know, the PC world wouldn't get for a very long time as in Duke Nukem forever, which is a great fucking game by the way. And yes, it is, especially after the doctor who cloned me after that expansion came out, it is a great game. 
And on PC, it doesn't suffer from the long load times that everybody was fucking complaining about. But if you're complaining about that, what are you doing, you know, dealing in retro gaming now? But regardless, <laughs> uh, getting sidetracked. Okay. So anyway, I remember having the arguments over was, you know, about what's better PlayStation or, or Saturn. Now today I can ultimately say that yes, the PlayStation is the better system. Um, but at the time I thought that being able to play because everybody was playing Duke Nukem 3d, I thought being able to play that over the internet on my Saturn made the Saturn in many ways, a much better system than the PlayStation could ever dream of being. I'm not saying that that's right today, but it was at the time. I mean, that was, that was pun intended game changing stuff, you know, for a lot of console people. Again, for me with PC, I mean, I kind of knew how that worked anyway, but it was really cool to do that on your TV because you'd have such a big screen as compared to, you know, the little CRT you'd have hooked up to your 486. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And, and it was ahead of its time as far as that goes, as far as that goes, very advanced system. Uh, just not everybody took advantage of everything that it could do. And yes, I feel like Sega basically started killing it off way too early. Uh, ironically, when some of its best games were coming out and we will talk about those games, but before we do, before we get into that top eight and it's a doozy, and these are mostly games you cannot play anywhere else. You have to play it on, on, on the, you know, on Saturn and some of them really, they don't, uh, they don't emulate well. So you, you want the original hardware because it's just not going to cut it as well on the PC and you're going to run into varying issues. Now, the idea of modding a Sega Saturn is not new. It's been around, it used to be called phantom it's been around for, I mean, you know, the modding scene for Saturns have been around almost as long as Saturns have been around. And certainly since at least the year 2000 is kind of when I remember first getting uh, whiffs of, uh, of modded, you know, modded Saturns. Um, I mean, systems getting modded very early on in their, in their release cycle is not unheard of. I mean, modded PlayStations, that was very early on in the PlayStation's life. And largely due to eBay, it was like a viable thing to be able to get your hands on because a person could create a business on there. Uh, today, I mean, you might still be able to do that, but certainly it's not the same thing. Now you're better off, you know, going to Stone Age Gamer or a bunch of these other places where they will gladly sell you, um, you know, modded uh, systems or, you know, they're coming up with their own their own kit to, you know, take modding to a whole other level. And that's really what we were. And I, I, I will use this word, what we were blessed with, uh, in 2020, there's a company and I reviewed when they came out with their original, I mean, it's not their first thing that they ever came out with. I don't think, but when they came out with the mega SD, which was not to be confused with analogs, mega SG, which is a, you know, a, a premium, uh, Genesis, but the mega SD, which is a cartridge made by a company called Terra onion, which they're out of Europe somewhere. And you could, it can emulate uh, Sega CD and it emulates, you know, and you could just pop in the, uh, you know, an S a micro SD card and you hit, can put all your Genesis games on there, pop that cartridge. The mega SD is just a cartridge, pop that into a Genesis or a, a, a Genesis compatible system. Cause those are things um, like the, you know, Retron five and, uh, you know, retro bit even has a system out there and so on. 
and you could pop that in and boom, you know, you can play all of your games right off of that cartridge flash cart more or less, but you know, a very, very advanced, very premium one because the mega SD cost about, I think it cost like $250 when it first came out. However, it was the best way to play Sega CD games at the time. Now, um, you know, other flash carts have added in that ability, but you know, you're getting some competition in the retro gaming space and, I kind of like it because it's a very friendly competition and it's forcing, you know, one company that's been doing flashcards forever to kind of up their game and then Terra Onion just kind of ups theirs. So in 2020, they came out with what's called mode, which I believe stands for multi optical optical disc emulator. And it is an FPGA board. So it's a, it's a programmable board that replaces the entire optical disk drive in whatever system that you end up putting it into. When it was first released in 2020 and you did pre-orders and I jumped on a pre-order for these things, uh, for these things months and months ago, um, it, it was only for the Saturn or the Dreamcast. Now it's really slick. And we did talk about it on Sovereign Tech when it was first announced, I had yet to do a full review of it. And I'm more or less doing that review here. Um, the mode, when it first came out, again, what was nice was it was for the Sega or for the Sega Saturn or the Dreamcast. You could put it in either one. The nice thing is there's no soldering, none at all. Okay. Uh, I mean, you can, there, there's some funny models of the Saturn where you might have to, uh, put in, and this doesn't necessarily require soldering, but basically you have to connect a power supply to the board. But I think most Saturns, it's not really an issue, but that's something you want to pay attention to is what model Saturn you're getting and what, how the mode has to connect to it to have that. Uh, the nice thing is, is that there's nothing to really do on, on the board itself. Um, there is a switch that has to do with that power supply thing, but again, that's a unique case. Look into it. If, if, you know, if this is something you're going to be doing, but it instantly knows if it's connected, what system it's connected to. And it just works like that. And really you could have a couple of open face consoles. You could have a Saturn and a dreamcast and you could just switch the mode between the two, like just disconnected from one and connected to the other, have all your games on a micro SD card because the mode allows for you to store games on either a, uh, you know, base a, a SATA drive. Okay. Or, uh, you could use a micro SD card or you can use, you know, just a USB flash stick. Now I will tell you that you want to, you, you, I would get comfortable with using a micro SD card because a lot of the features, the new features that have come out for the mode, one of them being the ability to store save games from the Saturn onto the micro SD card. Great feature, right? Because we talked about the entire issue around how, you know, when that BIOS battery goes, there goes all your save games. This is a great feature that they added in ever since it's 1.04, I think is the latest firmware for the mode. Uh, I mean, really, really slick. So, but at, most of those features only work with the micro SD card. We'll talk more about why you want the micro SD card for this. But another feature that's been added since that firmware is now, again, it's multi optical disc emulator, meaning that, you know, it's designed not just for one system, but for many. Now it can actually work with certain models of the PlayStation one. So it's a great investment to get your hands on. 
uh, the mode. It's expensive. You know, I mean, it runs at least a couple hundred bucks, but it's absolutely worthwhile to get your hands on because you can use it. Even if you get tired of the Saturn, you can just use it on another fucking system. Uh, you know, who knows what other system it'll work with uh, in the future now with the mode. So again, you can just, all you have to do is you take the disc images, you pop them onto the micro SD card. Uh, you have to like name your folders, something specific, but you're just going to name it the system. Like you just name the folder Saturn, you pop it in and away you go. There's whole tutorials online about how to go about this. So I don't need to recover it here, but only to say that it is an incredibly elegant and easy solution for yeah. I mean, because look, the, these, these optical drives, they just die. They go bad all the time. I've already replaced mine in my PlayStation two. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not a flaw. I mean, it's, you know, games being based on optical media was a revolutionary and very exciting and good thing, but you know, these parts go bad as to where with the mode. I mean, again, it's just a, you know, just a board and you're popping on solid state memory and away you go. I mean, there's barely any, you know, there's no moving parts. Uh, it's a really, really beautiful thing. So, and I haven't run and everything just plays beautifully. I have not run into any issues, any, uh, uh, problems with, because it's treating it like it's just playing off of the original hardware. Right. Uh, and I, I, again, I haven't run into a single like hiccup or anything along those lines with any game that I've tested. And I have basically put the entire Saturn library on a massive micro SD card. And it's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's stunning. <laughs> and I mean, what happens is, is that the system will load into, um, the mode, uh, you know, kind of front end, you know, it's UI you'll choose the game. And then once you choose the game, boom, right into, you know, it's just like you rebooted the Saturn and the game installs as if the CD was in, was in the system. Uh, it, it's, it's a really, really, I mean, I've, and it, it was fairly easy to install. Now I picked up a kit, a 3d printed kit from a company called laser bear. If I think of it, I'll link to them in the show notes. I picked up their kit, which allows the uh, mode, the board, the actual board circuit board to sit very nicely inside the system and very securely. Now there's again with the Saturn, there's a few different revisions of the hardware itself. Okay. Not for the mode, but the original Saturn console. And you'll, you need to know which one you want to know, which basically which uh, kit you want to get from laser bear to, to hold your, your mode, you know, mode board in the system. Um, but it does more because what they also did, and this is really nice is that it create, you know, they have a little ribbon cable going up and in place of the optical drive or, you know, the little laser that would normally sit when you lift up the lid on the Saturn, it just puts a little SD card slot there. That way you can easily eject, you know, and, and switch games and whatever else, but you can, without having to open up your entire Saturn, you can easily, uh, you know, take in and out your, your SD card. Uh, now it's a micro SD card. So you have to use an adapter, but so what most micro SD cards, when you buy them come with an adapter anyway. So that's not a big deal. In fact, it's great. Uh, so it's a really, really nice setup. It is a gorgeous looking system. I love looking at this thing and it was a great, just a nice little project. Again, no soldering needed, nothing like that. Uh, everything in went in really easily updating the firmware on the mode. You just pop the firmware onto the micro SD card. 
you put it in, it boots up and the, the mode board, uh, you know, the software that's on the mode board instantly recognizes the file that there is a firmware update and it just takes it boom and you're done. Uh, this is the most beautiful, you know, I don't want to call it emulation, but I'll say retro gaming experience that I've ever had. And you can really go far with this and change the UI to where it shows like the cover art for the games and everything. You can ultimately have a presentation that matches anything Nintendo did with any of their mini retro consoles in the past few years, you know, like the, the SNES classic or the NES classic and so on. You can really match that. Um, but you're doing it with, you know, a fucking Sega Saturn. Um, it's a great boon for me because, you know, I was going speaking of the, the mini consoles. So I was going to get the Genesis mini when that was announced. And then I said, no, nah, you know what? I don't, I don't need this. <laughs> There's just not enough on offer and you could get the ROMs because there were exclusive games released for the Genesis mini. Uh, they were never released for the Genesis before, even if they were meant to, uh, you could get those ROMs online. And so, you know, you didn't need that. Uh, and there are just other parts of it. And also I, I became disillusioned with the idea that, well, if you want us to do the next system, you got to buy this one. I think that's ugly market tactics. I don't like that at all, you know, because certainly, I mean, there's no guarantees there, even from, from the business end, meaning that if I were Sega, I would, if, if I wanted to like get somewhat of an audience, I would probably skip because I was going to buy the Genesis mini because I wanted to give them the incentive. And this is look, this is a market tactic that people do. And again, I, I just don't, I don't agree with it anymore. I wanted to send them the incentive to say, Hey, yeah, now do the Saturn. They were, they're never, I don't want to say they're never going to do it because they might, who knows, but they're never going to do the Saturn. Like I said, uh, you know, no one that I, <laughs> almost no one that I talked to has, has owned or even played a Sega Saturn. Right. So it just wasn't going to happen. I could see them maybe doing a Dreamcast, but you know, the systems we want them to do are the ones where it's hard to get access to the games. And that's just not going to happen, you know, it's, and cause that's the irony, right? Is that you, there have been so many Genesis compilations with most of the great games that were on the Genesis that have been released for every system ever since the Genesis stopped getting produced, quite frankly. So this is really the way to play Saturn games uh, is with a Saturn mode. Okay, go ahead and yank out that optical drive. Just do it. <laughs> I can't believe, you know, I tweeted about it and, and people, some people responded on Twitter to me saying, cause I guess there's some other project that's happening where it, it lets you do both. And they're like, I want to be able to play my original discs. Why? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, even those discs have a shelf life. I, I, no, <laughs> I just, I, I don't understand that that, that notion. I mean, I get wanting to have, you know, your, um, well, okay. So I don't, ah, fuck, there's so many things to talk about. We haven't even gotten into the top eight yet. Um, I've kind of come to an understanding that the reason people like, I'm really supportive of people wanting physical copies of games, you know, and now I'm not super supportive of like limited run games or some of those other companies. Okay. Because today when you're, I mean, like if you want to re-release a classic game that's done, 
you know, that came out 20 years ago and is done and you want to do a re-release of a physical copy of that. Oh, I love that. I think seriously, I think that's wonderful. Okay. However, to do it for modern games, what's on the cartridge, the physical cartridge that you buy for these games is not the entire game and it never will be. And so the idea of arguing that, well, you know, like I want physical because I want to be able to play it no matter what I've, I finally realized what, what the fuck these, why these people are so hot on this. Cause they have to know like, no, the, the whole game isn't on the cartridge. Why are you so hot and bothered about getting like a physical copy of the game? And I think the reason that the two reasons that I've come to, and this speaks to kind of like why maybe people want to keep their Saturn more original and have their discs. I mean, look, if the Saturn doesn't have the optical disc drive, you can still have the disc sitting nicely on your shelf if you want it to look good. But that's, that's the only argument that I could originally come up with is that people want physical today of modern games, not classic, but of modern games because they want something to look pretty on their shelf. That's a whole other conversation to get into around consumerism, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Okay. Again, I'm supportive of, of physical games if it's the entire fucking game but I've come to the realization that I think the reason people want physical copies of games is now it's not because like they know that it doesn't have the complete game on there. It's because they want to be able to trade it in. I re I really think that that's, that's the major part of the mindset that they want to trade it in. Or the other one is that they all have modded consoles and they want to be able to play it on their modded consoles. Even if the eShop shuts down on them because they, you know, they they're running homebrew software on their console. And that's more about modern games, but I, I really, I don't get it. Like if, if you want to be able to trade in games or you want these games to hold some kind of value or something, then fine, rip out the fucking optical disc out of your, you know, out of your Saturn and, then you can sell the game because you can pop it all onto a micro SD card and you can infinitely copy these games and you can keep the save games. And you, I mean, it's such a great solution. I just don't understand. I, I, I can understand, you know, wanting original, but like, and if really that's what it's about, okay. But then I don't know, keep an original Saturn and have another one that has a mode in it because it's such a great experience. I mean, it is such a slick, easy experience. Go on YouTube and check it out because it's gorgeous. So anyway, lately when I actually have some spare time and I never have, you know, long drawn out amounts of spare time, um, it's always like, okay, maybe I have 30 minutes or maybe I have an hour, you know, uh, like I never seem to really have two whole hours of spare time or anything along, you know, along those lines, except for maybe very specific days. And I'm just so fucking worn out. I'm just laying out. Uh, so I, you know, I don't get to deep dive too much, uh, but I made sure to be able to deep dive on this because I wanted to be able to do a full review. So I had gotten in uh, quite a bit of Saturn gaming, even if it was just in between breaks or something, you know, for, for, as far as work goes. And uh, now doing this because it's more than just the mode, the mode is great. Fortunately, there are, like I said, there's the action replay Ram cartridge that you can still buy completely new 40 bucks and you're done. Um, the, the Sega Saturn, even back in 95 was really thinking about the future. And the other part that's interesting. So I own a PS2, I own a GameCube. Neither of those systems natively were meant for connecting via HDMI. And generally, I mean, and I know there's solutions out there. They're fairly expensive. OK, 
Okay. So I can't buy them, but <laughs> I know the solutions out there, uh, you know, to, to, to make some of these older systems that generally only operate at like 480i, if you're lucky, you know, to say nothing of 480p or anything like that, to upscale them and to clean them up and make them look good on a modern 1080p flat screen uh, television or monitor of any type. Um, now, for both of those systems, I have bought uh, from like Hyperkin, and I know it's a lower end solution, but I've bought, uh, you know, their HDMI um, you know, cables that basically just connect to, you know, whatever proprietary port on the back, normally where the RCA cables would plug in. And, but on the other end, you know, you'll have to run the little USB power to it, but then on the other end, you know, it has an HDMI cable and these generally run about, you know, 20 bucks and they're always in stock because that's the other big issue with some of these other solutions is a lot of times they're well out of stock. Like actually the mode has a hard time keeping in stock and usually have to wait months before you can get your hands on them. So getting these hyperkin solutions are, are as I love that company, but they're a little touch and go when it comes to a lot of these HDMI solutions. And you run into varying issues like with the PlayStation two, when you use the hyperkin HDMI adapter, uh, you run into the problem that it won't display the PlayStation games or the PlayStation one games. It'll, it'll display the PlayStation two games and it looks pretty good, but it won't display the PlayStation one games. It'll say, you know, resolution out of range or whatever. So that's a problem, right? That's pointless because that's the whole reason I have a PlayStation two is even to play PlayStation one more so than even PlayStation two games. Um, with the GameCube, there are varying sound issues that occur, but it doesn't look too bad uh, when you do get it connected, at least as far as video. However, whatever secret sauce Sega did back in the day, because I know it's not Hyperkin's solution that's doing this. When I plug in the Sega Saturn via HDMI, it is a very nice picture just with that raw dog, you know, no special, uh, you know, hardware on the outside. You know, I'm not running it through any kind of compression boxes or anything like that. It looks pretty damn good when you connect it to a 1080p screen, uh, today. And you're just using that HDMI and I don't know why it looks so good. Now, when I hook it up with RCA cables to the same computer, I mean, it does, or to the same screen, it doesn't look nearly as good, obviously. Okay. But through the, through the HDMI, I mean, I, you know, I know some of these systems like the GameCube actually did think ahead about digital out. Uh, I think that, the, or I know that the Saturn was thinking ahead on some of these things and it looks and sounds really, really nice through that simple HDMI cable. I was blown away by that. Um, and again, easy to get your hands on. There's plenty of them because there's all these little cottage companies that that's all they do is retro gaming and they just have these great little solutions that you can get your hands on. Uh, you know, getting a power cable for the Saturn, not hard. And now that RetroBit has official Sega Saturn uh, controllers getting re-released in 2020. Uh, that, and actually it was in 2019 that they started releasing them, but you can get them Um you know, it's very easy to get a lot of new accessories for the Sega Saturn. So it's a viable system to purchase in 2020. Again, even if you just do the whole eBay thing and all you do is buy the console itself, it's easy enough to get your hands, you know, to go ahead and if the optical disc drive or if the optical drive is bad, uh, so what, you know, you're putting in a mode anyway, right? Uh, you can, you know, get replacement controllers. You can get replacement cords, right? Even HDMI. You can get, uh, you know, the replacement power cord. 
Uh, it's easy enough. In fact, they make it accessible because they knew this is what you would have to do. They make it very accessible to replace the BIOS battery, which you'll probably have to do put in the new CR 2032. Why? Because you'll, what'll happen is if, if, if the battery's dead and it probably is, if you buy it used, if the battery's dead, uh, you'll have to like keep setting the date and resetting the language on it every time that you power it up. And also you could run into still run into issues with saving games, even though now you can back them up with either the mode or if you bought the action replay cartridge, but it's a lot of fun, you know, to be able to, to get all of these like modern accessories for such an ancient system. You know, I mean, again, we're talking about, this is we're celebrating ultimately it's 25th anniversary in the United States. Uh, it's remarkable how much new shit you can get for it. And, and it's, it's so much fun to like buy expansion cartridges and all this other stuff because I, I don't know. It, it feels like the old days where you spent so much time adding in new boards to your computer or whatever else. And, you know, doing the whole modding thing. And, and I, I've always been, and I've talked, said this many times on sovereign tech, I've always been such a fan of pushing technology beyond the limits of what it was originally designed to do when it came off of the factory floor, right? Like making the Saturn do things that it was never meant to do is so exciting. I really love that and upgrading it and all that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very fun project and it's one, you know, you're not getting into because I mean, look, retro gaming can become a very expensive hobby very quickly. This was not such an expensive proposition. All told over, and you have to understand, I was working on this project well over a year, well over a year. Uh, and all told, I probably spent, you know, anywhere from 400 to $500 to get this perfect, gorgeous Sega Saturn that has every fucking game the system ever had uh, and has every, you know, or at least plenty of accessories. Yes, you you know, you can't do the net link anymore. It would be fun. I, I need to look into getting my hands on a play cable because if I ever run into anybody else that has a Saturn and we can connect play cable and go nuts, you know, and, and on two different screens, you better believe I'd do that <laughs> in a heartbeat. I would, I would be rocking that even though we could just as easily, you know, play two player or whatever, just on the same, you know, on a singular console on the same screen. I mean, yes, there are a lot of controllers that I would love to get my hands on uh, because you can certainly feel it with some of these games that you can tell like, oh, yeah, they planned on you having a certain type of controller to be able to really play this with with efficacy. Uh, I'd love to be able to do that, but I'm not going to turn this into a much more expensive hobby, especially for games that I wouldn't necessarily play as much anyway. Uh even though some of a lot of this library, I can't wait to dig into even deeper and beat a lot of these games to completion. Obviously not all I have them all on there because why not? You know, it, it's free basically. Uh, and there's plenty of sites to download, you know, uh, Saturn ISOs, uh, you know, disc images from anyway. So with all of that said, why don't we go ahead and let's finally start talking about those games. And we'll certainly have some things brought up, uh, in the conversation that might have to do more with the hardware or whatever else as we go through it. Um, so we're going to do a top eight. Certainly there are games, uh, that I mentioned, you know, already, um, that, well, they're not going to appear on this list. Like Duke Nukem 3d was actually pretty cool on the system. That's not on this list. And I wouldn't, you know, there's that game has been on so many systems. Like, 
I don't know that you could ever really call it the a top game um, in in any consoles list, even though it would go down as or should go down as one of the greatest games of all time. Um, Nights in the Dreams, I had mentioned that earlier. That's not going to be on this list. So there might be some that you consider to be somewhat obvious that aren't here, but maybe we'll talk about them as as they go. And we probably will get into a conversation around a game that was being developed that got canceled that some people consider to be the reason that the Sega Saturn never really took off. And we will get into that. But let's get into the top eight as we have it here. And as I always say, if you're in the top eight, you're already the greatest. I mean, like there's no point in there being one, two, three, you know, like a ranking of any kind. If you're in the top eight, you're already the best. Uh, but as I often also say, usually there is one that's like, okay, yeah, that's number one. Everything else is just kind of, you know, like slightly underneath. And such is true with the Sega Saturn. And we're going to open this up with the number one. This is, this is the game that I said at the top of the show is reason enough to own a Sega Saturn and to go through all the fucking trouble that you know, I, I described and, you know, all the processes of, you know, getting the mode set up and all this other crap. And believe me, it's cheaper to do everything I did to have a working Sega Saturn than it is to buy a Saturn and buy this game. Okay. And also this game has a very hard time with emulation. Uh, it, I, I don't think there's any perfect emulation out there unless you're playing it on the original hardware. And this game is Panzer Dragoon Saga. Uh, I believe I mentioned it during the Xbox uh, special that I did because its sequel would be, that being Panzer Dragoon Orta, uh, would end up being on the Xbox, interestingly, even though it probably should have been on the Dreamcast. But Panzer Dragoon Saga, this came out in 1998 towards the end of the lifespan of um, the Sega Saturn. Now, it was being developed concurrently with Panzer Dragoon 2, um, and would get delayed over and over again, partly because, so the team behind uh, the Panzer Dragoon games, Team Andromeda, uh, I mean, so Panzer, you got, so those games, the original Panzer Dragoon games are just rail shooters, right? They're on rail shooters. Panzer Dragoon Saga had the on rail shooters, but then also added in a very in-depth, very, uh, uh, very broad RPG. So in many ways, it's almost two games in one. It's like playing Panzer Dragoon and Fantasy Star at the same time. And if that excites you, if that, if what I just said to you, you know, gave you a little tingle, uh, you have to play this game. I don't like saying that kind of phrase, like you have to do something at any, you know, at any given point. But this is one of those cases where I mean it. You have to play this game. It's that good. Uh, it absolutely belongs if there is a top 10 list in the world of greatest games ever made, it belongs on that list. I would argue it belongs on that list more so than any Sonic game ever does. Um, if this game came out maybe two years earlier, this game could have saved the Sega Saturn, in my opinion, because people would play it. You play this character called Edge and you're going throughout the entire Panzer you know, universe. Uh, it blends those two game styles and again, does have such in-depth RPG aspects to it. It's, it's a mind blowing experience. I mean, it, it, you get so hooked in with the story and everything, and there's very little, if any transition 
between, you know, story scenes and in-game graphics, which was also rare, very rare at the time uh, to have that. Uh, this does a lot of rare things for, for the time. It, it's a game. Look, I'm not here. <laughs> I don't know how many games this can be said for. People literally, literally died developing this game. I'm not kidding. Two people, and you can ask, you can ask the director of the game. Two people died because of the stress and the hours. You want to talk about crunch? You know, people talk about game crunch and all that shit today. Oh man, be glad you weren't working on Panzer Dragoon Saga. People died because of, I mean, like heart failure from dealing with this game and, and spending the, you know, the sleepless nights and whatever else. I mean, that's how big of a deal this game was. I'm not saying that's a good thing, <laughs> or at least not for the people. I don't, I don't relish anybody dying, but you get where I'm coming from. That's not a, that's that, that's a shoot. Okay. People died making this game. That's how big it is. Uh, it, apparently the source code for it's like lost. And so that's partly why it's never been re-released. Um, it was the singular reason I wanted a Saturn mini to get re-released by Sega. But fortunately we got, frankly, I, I would say a much better solution, um, with the mode, but regardless, yeah, it's, it's just an incredible, incredible fucking game. Uh, again, just, just imagine that you're doing an on rail shooter. You get to fly around and it's even a little less on rails than previous Panzer Dragoon games. It's a little more free flight. Like, uh, like Panzer Dragoon's way was. And you get like this in-depth or this really deep RPG experience, similar to a fantasy star total winner. Now, you know, people want to bring up how, cause there was a game called Sonic extreme, which was going to be the major Sonic game for the Sega Saturn. We did get Sonic R that is not on this list. <laughs> there was uh they did a, what was it? Sonic uh, was a 3d jam or whatever that they didn't update uh, for. I mean, it had Sonic, you know, Saturn had Sonic games, but Sonic extreme was supposed to be the one and you can actually play kind of demo versions of it. You can see screenshots and some video of it and everything. It was a game that was in development. It got canceled and we ended up with Sonic adventure. Sonic adventure is a great game. Sonic extreme looked like they really were pulling off the leap that Mario made from super Mario world to Mario 64 with Sonic from say, you know, Sonic three to what is a real Sonic 3d experience look like? It looked like they were going to be able to pull that off, but I don't think that that was enough because it wasn't, well, you could argue that it was game changing and I'm sure it would have been a very tight gaming experience and would have had a lot of speed to it. Saturn had games of the caliber of Sonic, in my opinion. In fact, you have nights into dreams, which is basically the antithesis in many ways of Sonic where it was a very slow game, but it was that complete 3d experience. But that game like should it, and, and it was a great game that should have put the Saturn over the top and it didn't, you needed to have something positively mind bending to, to get the Saturn over the hump of, you know, the, well, basically the marketing and, and, you know, game availability dominance that the N64 and the PlayStation were dealing with in, at the time. Panzer Dragoon Saga could have done that if it didn't come out in 1998 and Sega was basically already saying, well, we're going to come out with the Dreamcast. We're done with the Saturn. What a shame. Regardless, you get to play it today and check it out. So that's our number one. Uh, number two, we'll go with another RPG. And this is where things get a little interesting, especially today, thanks to the, the mode, you know, in a modified Saturn. Um, 
Shining Force 3. So the Shining Force series has been a premier series for many a console, or, you know, for much of Sega's history. Um, and it is, Shining Force is a turn-based RPG, you know, kind of like a Final Fantasy Tactics, right, where you have the square grid and everything. Uh, excellent, excellent game. The sad part is, is that we, you only got, because the storylines in the Shining Force games are what really put them over the top. And of course, I mean, the, the you know, the turn-based playing is really cool as well. But in America, you only got the first disc. They actually, the game technically started coming out in 97, but they kept releasing more discs in, in, in uh, all the way into like 1998. The beautiful thing is, is that now you can download ISOs from sites that have English patched versions of the Japanese games. And that's true for, for many games on the Sega Saturn. This is also true for most consoles. I mean, it's true for the PlayStation two. Uh, it's true for the PlayStation one. It's true for most of the early consoles that you can imagine, uh, where English patched versions of games come out. Um, but shining force, especially when you can play all three discs. Awesome. Awesome. I mean the premium, the last disc for shining force three really just gives you like some more battles to go through, but that's sort of the beauty of the shining force games. I mean, the storylines are great, but like, it's that, that really, really tactical gameplay. Uh, and so to even get to do more of that, and especially now, you know, where you thought you were done with shining force back in, you know, 90, you know, back in 97. Oh no, no, no. Now, now when you can play, I mean, and this is a small joy you get from revisiting a lot of these old consoles as well is that now, you know, we keep digging up, we as in humanity, uh, keep digging up all of these like classic games, some of which could have been finished or games that came out in other territories that now you can patch or play on an emulator or whatever. And you get to play games. I mean, cause there's plenty of games that come out today that try to mimic the style of the PlayStation or the super Nintendo or the gen or whatever but to actually play a game that was designed back then is a rare experience and one that you never got to play before. It's beautiful. You know, I, I mean, one of the things that, and I've said this many times on sovereign tech, but one of the things that having the Sega Saturn uh, has really brought to fore for me is like, yeah, really, you never have to leave the nineties if you don't want to, <laughs> cause there's just so much to do. But anyway, uh, so yeah, shining force three, now that you get to play all three discs and you get the complete story, amazing An experience. You just, well, you have to experience number three, let's move on. Uh, number three is one of the early games for the system. And that is, and in fact, I think it was originally supposed to come out for the 32 X and then they shifted gears and I'm glad they did, uh, is from, it's from 1995. It's one of my favorite game series that being Shinobi. Uh, that being the game series, but the game is Shinobi Legions. And this is a really, all right, here's what I love about this game. It plays, the gameplay overall is what you expect from a Shinobi game. Not too different from Shinobi 3. Nothing wrong with that if it didn't change it up much from there, but it did. There's a few elements here that are really, really cool. One is, is that instead of you concentrating, like say in Shinobi 3, where you're concentrated more on the use of the shuriken, in this, the concentration is more on the katana and you don't run out of katana swipes. <laughs> so, so that's great. Uh, the magical abilities and the defensive abilities are some, it's a really, really clever gameplay. Um, the other beauty here is that, and I know there's people who don't like this. I love it. They did, 
if you recall the graphics for the first three Mortal Kombat games or like Street Fighter, the movie where basically they, they did a degree of like almost motion capture and just digitize like an actual actor, you know, sort of into it. So this game has full motion video uh, storylines to it. And so you get that full motion video in it, which is really cool. Uh, but then the graphics, it plays, if you ever played Sub-Zero Mythologies, where it feels like a 2D uh, platformer, but it looks like Mortal Kombat, that's what Shinobi Le- uh, Legions looks like. And I, I just, I love it. And it's a cool storyline. You know, I mean, it's kind of your classic stuff, avenging your master and all that crap, but you never get tired of that anyway. And you know, you don't, God damn it. Uh, so Shinobi Legions, a game, not much thought about. I think when people, when you look at lists of great Saturn games, yeah, Panzer Dragoon Saga ends up on every single one Shinobi, uh, or I mean, uh, shining force three. Sure. That probably shows up on some, most people really don't remember Shinobi Legions, but I'm such a fan of the franchise. Uh, and I mean, with its best game really being on the PlayStation two, you know, I mean, I, I just, I thought it was stunning. And when I, when I saw that there was going to be, this is one of the first games I, I wanted to get my hands on when I got my Saturn back in the day. Uh, it's, it's, it's really that, that great gameplay, but the graphical presentation and the inclusion of full motion video, as well as, you know, the major use of Katana makes it an absolute winner. I love this game. So Shinobi legions at number three, number four was a unique game, uh, unique in that. Well, not, it's not unique, but rare in that, it was a game you could, you got, and you could basically get for free, but you had to mail in for it. Um, and it's Virtua Fighter Remix. This came out in 1995. Now, most top, most, uh, you know, like top games lists for the Saturn are going to include Virtua Fighter 2 because it was a very faithful port from the arcade to the home console, like we were talking about earlier. I personally love the very first Virtua Fighter game. I still think, and I make the same, same argument for Virtua Racing, where the high, uh, or should I say the low polygon count, for some reason, just still to this day, makes it look really futuristic. And while Virtua Fighter Remix would kind of clean up some of the polygons and update the graphics a bit, uh, it's definitely the most balanced and best overall presentation of the original virtual fighter better than what was in the arcades by leaps and bounds. And so that kind of falls to like the soul caliber argument, right? Where the console is doing it better. This is one of those cases. Now, some people like to bring in fighters, Megamix, which is another game for, uh, for the Saturn. And that's a really great game too, because it brought in characters from virtual fighter. It brought in characters from other gaming franchises and basically did smash brothers before it was a gleam in Nintendo's eye. Uh, and I'll give Sega absolute credit for that, for pulling that off. But yeah, I, I just think Virtua fighter is such a charming game. And in many ways, like, I mean, it is the originator of real 3d fighting, um, in many ways, you know, Tekken and it are kind of, kind of, kind of parallel or equidistant. Maybe that's the word I'd use, but regardless, Virtua fighter remix, you only were able to get it. So it's very rare to get your hands on because at the time you could only get it if you did, a, if you mailed in for it. Uh, of course, now you can just download it and pop it on your mode. Woo, and away you go. Uh, I love it. it, it I, I've played that quite a bit uh, ever since I got this set up. So let's go to number five. Number five is a game that, unfortunately, I hate putting, the, I love putting this on here on the top eight list, but I also hate putting it on here. I love it because it is an, inc- it is an amazingly complex 
an, an innovative game for what it is. Cause it is just 2d or more or less 2d, but I hate putting it on here because you really have to know Japanese, uh, to be able to play it with some, with some degree of efficacy. And it's assault, uh, assault suit Lanos two. So it is a sequel to a game that originally came out for the Genesis. You are in a Mecca and it, it's kind of like, imagine like metal slug, but instead you're in a Mecca and you have like just a wild amount. There's like 50 different weapons that you get access to in it. Uh, it takes advantage. You know, the Saturn controller has quite a few buttons on it, right? It, I mean, more buttons than even, well, actually, no, I guess technically if you have two shoulder buttons, it doesn't, it, it all kind of adds out, but you know, you have six pad buttons and you have the two shoulder buttons and everything you use all of those in this game because there's just a ton of, I mean, you're launching missiles or using lasers or you're aiming or you're jumping high to take out, you know, bombers that are coming in. Uh, it's a very dynamic. What, what is effectively, I mean, it's not a beat em up, but it's sort of like a beat em up with, me with mechs and it just works. It, it's such a cool game. Um, there has, I've yet to find, and if you happen to know where one is, Hey, great. Then I don't feel so bad about putting it on here and let me know. I've yet to find a great English patch of the game. Um, I can understand most of what I'm seeing on screen because it's fairly basic and some of it's already in English anyway, but there's a lot that's still in Japanese and I can kind of get the picture, but the gameplay is just so much fun. It, it, it's the one game that fuck there should be an English patch for because it's so cool. Uh, so yeah, assault suit Lanos two from, and that's from 1997. Uh, number six, Bomberman, particularly Saturn Bomberman. Uh, Bomberman is one of those characters that kind of like to the point of crash bandicoot now where they're an icon, they are a mascot, but yet they have no direct hardware that they're best known for. I think that Saturn Bomberman is effectively the best version of Bomberman ever made because it sticks with the original simplistic style uh, or Bomberman style. And it doesn't get into like adding in a bunch. I mean, there's some story, but it doesn't get into the crazy territories that later Bomberman games would to try and, you know, bring the character into the 21st century or whatever else. This is just the latest best graphics of that classic gameplay. So I consider it Bomberman at its best. Um, I know a lot of people at the time I remember, you know, cause I've, I've loved absolutely Bomberman, you know, if we we're to do like top 10 or top eight mascots for video games, like a sovereign top eight of that, which that would be fun to do. Uh, Bomberman would be in that number. Uh, you know, it, it, it's amazing. I frankly, I wish Sega like kind of owned them you know, just took him on and said, yeah, Bomberman's one of our boys, just like Sonic, you know, because Nintendo doesn't just have Mario, right? They have Link, they have, uh, you know, Samus Aran, they, I mean, Donkey Kong go down the list. I wish Sega would have really scooped up Bomberman and, and kind of owned the character, uh, and made it, you know, part of, because he, he always, Bomberman has always been at its best on Sega consoles, in my opinion. So anyway, um, Saturn Bomberman, you know what you're getting with Bomberman and it's at its best on the Saturn. We'll move on from that. Number seven. Um, actually, you know, before I get into that, so there are quite a few games that would end up getting where I would argue that their best, most complete versions end up on the Sega Saturn. Another one that has yet to get a full on English patch, 
even though you can play the version on Sega CD that was officially released in North America, would be uh, Hideo Kojima's Snatcher. Fantastic game. Did get released on the Saturn. Uh, a very, I mean, and and this is a game that dealt with varying censorship depending upon which region it ended up getting released in. The Saturn's about your best bet, in my opinion. Uh, I wish it would get an English patch. If it ever does, it's just another reason to own the Sega Saturn is if Snatcher ever does that. But I didn't include it on this list because you really can't play it. I mean, like with Assault Suit Lanos, even if you don't know Japanese, you can still kind of play the game. But with Snatcher, you, you just, it's not the same. You, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta understand what, what the text is saying on screen. So anyway, um, moving on. Number seven, this is a game that originally was released for the Atari Jaguar uh, by Jeff Minter, who one of the greatest uh, game designers of all time. And it's considered one of the two or three great games that were ever released for the Jaguar. Of course, the Jaguar never took off. Um, but this would also get a release on the PlayStation. We'll talk about it. But the game is Tempest 2000. So that original title is what it would also be released as on the Jaguar. It would end up on the PlayStation as well, but they would call it Tempest X3 on the PlayStation. However, while it got rave reviews for the PlayStation, uh, it was a very, it was a fairly different game, I should say, especially in the way that the AI operated and everything in the game. Uh, and it's, of course, it's an updated version of the classic Tempest, which was like a vector graphics game from back in the 80s in the arcades. Um, the AI was very fluky in, in, in the PlayStation version. And there were some other issues to where Jeff Minter basically felt like that the popular version of the game, that was the best version of the game that you could get outside of the Atari Jaguar, which good luck was Tempest 2000 for the Sega Saturn. And this is a, I mean, from the EDM soundtrack to the really, really wild visuals, um, you know, I'm kind of reminded about like, uh, like Alejandro Jodorowsky's, you know, goal of basically trying to give people an LSD trip by watching a movie. This is a game that <laughs> I kind of imagine is like an LSD trip on, in a video game. Uh, and that's say nothing of like, you know, actually the game called LSD or was it the dream simulator for the PlayStation? That's a different story though. Certainly in the same vein, but Tempest 2000, I want to say kind of hits those heights. It is a gorgeous game very unique experience. Uh, also another one where it's absolutely worth owning the Saturn just for this game. Uh, now there's other versions of this out there for PC and there's like Tempest 3000 and some other stuff, but, but Tempest 2000, I think hit a certain level of perfection. And I don't think Jeff Minter would disagree with me on that. So it's one you just got to check out if you happen to have a Saturn. Now that, that came out in 94, like for, for the Jaguar, and I don't think it was a launch title, but it was pretty close to being a launch title for, uh, for the Sega Saturn. Let's move on to number eight so we can wrap this baby up. Um, number eight is virtual on cyber troopers. And I'm going to go all the way net edition. <laughs> Cause they did, this game originally came out in 96 and they did end up releasing it again to where it worked with the aforementioned Netlink. And what an experience it was. Uh, it was also a game that would get released with a twin stick uh, controller. So if you've ever in arcades or even on the PlayStation, if you've ever played cyber sled, you kind of have an idea of what this is. This is, you are once again, controlling giant robots or, you know, mechas, whatever 
I guess in this case, actually, I think it's just robots, but you are controlling giant robots and you, you know, it's a three dimensional, uh, uh, plane that you're on or a three dimensional environment. Okay. And with the twin stick, I mean, that's kind of what allows you to do different things with your, you know, with your arms and jetting around and everything. And it's, it's more or less a fighting game, but it's a fighting game in a genuine 3d arena. Very cool. Uh, the virtual on series, I mean, certainly more popular in arcades than I think it has been at home, but there have been multiple, uh, home console releases, uh, and updates for the game itself. But the Saturn version, and especially with Netlink, if you had the privilege and pleasure of playing that back in the day, uh, you know, really it felt far more futuristic because there weren't that many games of this style at the time. Uh, and if you were, I mean, I loved the game cyber sled. Fortunately, you can still play that on, on PlayStation today. Um, but it, it had that feeling and it just, it just felt wildly futuristic. Um, and the, again, the low polygon count, I think gives it a certain charm and just, just adds to the fun and, and somewhat of the strategy to it. And it's not a game where they really perfected, uh, I mean, and there's not that many games that, that do this kind of action in a full on 3d arena anyway, but it's before they sort of perfected that formula. And so you get to find a lot of interesting ways of winning the game, in my opinion. Uh, so virtual on tremendous entry on, uh, you know, on the Sega Saturn, uh, especially the Netlink addiction, uh, addition to be able to do, I mean, cause hell you could barely do that in the arcades, you know, to do online multiplayer. I mean, it, it was really the ultimate edition of the game. Fantastic. So that's our top eight. Uh, number one, Panzer Dragoon Saga. Number two, Shining Force 3, the full Japanese edition. Number three, Shinobi Legends. Number four, Virtual Fighter Remix. Number five, Assault Suit La uh, uh, Lanos 2, uh, Saturn Bomberman, Tempest 2000, and then Virtual on Cyber Troopers Net Edition. Talk about a mouthful. You're probably wondering, where is Burning Rangers? Where is uh, Albert Odyssey? Where is Alien Trilogy? Well, Alien Trilogy ended up on a bunch of different systems. Um, where's Bug 2? You know, where's, I mean, you go down the list. Where's Cyberbots? Where's Crime Wave, Criticon? Yeah, I know. There's that many, there are a ton of great games. Or Corpse Killer, which I think that's gotten re-released lately. But, uh, you know, where's Daytona USA? Where's Virtual Racing? Yeah, where's Dragon Force? I know, and I don't mean the band. We love the band, but the game, fucking awesome on Sega Saturn. I mean, there's tons of great games for the system. It is a shame that so few people have had the pleasure of getting to play it. Well, now you have a very viable way of making it happen and a lot of fun of putting it all together too, in my opinion. Um, and it's easy enough to get your hands on all of these games now. I mean, fuck like enemy zero. You think resident evil's fucking scary. Oh, oh man. Talk about some body horror in a game. Wait till you try out enemy zero. I mean, like there's just, there's so much to try out on this system. It's really, it, it's such a brilliant and, and it's a shame. It never got to go further. And we talked about why we talked about some of the reasons what could have been done to take it to the next level or to keep it viable. I mean, even when the dreamcast was coming out again, go with that family of systems. You know, like uh, ha do the Apple trick where they make you think that something older is somehow still modern and fresh. It's just a little cheaper. If they had just done that, who knows what the future would look like, right? Or, you know, who knows what today would look like as far as Sega's fortunes. Um, but it was just, it was killed off way too quickly. They, they ignored it 
far too quickly. And especially when they started releasing their best games, just as it was coming to an end. What a shame. I get it. I, I understand their arguments, but lost opportunity. However, it doesn't have to be for you any longer because the system is still out there. It's easy. It is ultimately easy to get your hands on and to update and make viable. I mean, or hell go ahead. And you know, if you want to rock your emulators on your PC, that's fine too. But I got to tell you, it's a great experience uh, of setting up the mode and going through that whole process. And there's just, a, there is something special to having that original hardware there. Um, you know, I mean, and, and yeah, you can emulate it and, uh, Retrobit, their their official Saturn Sega controllers, uh, you can get them with just a USB port on the other end, you know, where you could just play them on your PC. And that's awesome. I'm glad that you have that option as well. Either way, this is not a system to ignore. And if you're tired of the horseshit that's getting released for most modern systems, or you just want to jump and, you know, get out of the paradigm of the PS5 and the Xbox Series X or whatever, the Sega Saturn is a great place to get started in revisiting uh, some retro gaming roots. So go for it, baby. Uh, but I think, I think we can wrap that. I think we can wrap this one up. Um, the Sega Saturn, you've got your top eight, eight amazing games that no, you can't play those anywhere else. I, I just looked at the whole list. Um, other than maybe like Tempest X three, uh, you know, like that can be played on PlayStation, but that's not Tempest 2000. Exactly. Uh, this is something you can only play on Saturn and, I'm always amazed when the greatest games for a system, like when you can do a top eight or hell, I could do a top 20 of games that are only on the Sega Saturn that, you know, that, that blows my mind when you have that, because especially when you get into this generation where so many of the games would be available on the PlayStation as well, or maybe even on the N64 or on PC or whatever, but to have those that many exclusives for one console, you got to get your hands on the console. That's it. That's the short and sweet of it. So we'll wrap that up here and uh, so much more to come out, even in, even though we're in the last weeks of 2020, we'll wrap this one up and I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Game over.